Hey everyone, thank you for tuning in to the New Birth Podcast. There's a word of hope for you today and we are excited for what God is doing here at New Birth. For more information, visit our website, nbplaceofhope.com. Now for the message by our senior pastor, Gabby Mejia. Go with me to the book of Revelation. And no, I'm not going to speak on dragons. I'm not going to speak on uh, trumpets, bowels, and, 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 and seals. I'm going to speak a message the Lord put in my heart three weeks ago. And this message, I, I, I just want to give a disclaimer. This message, you know, is not, for many, this message is not or may not be a right now message. It's typically, typically, we want a word from the Lord when we are in our situation. It's like you get a headache, you go get a pill. But a headache is not a sickness. Headache is a symptom that something is wrong. But you react to the pain, but if you, should, if you had reacted to the real sickness, you would have bypassed the headache of the, the pain of the headache. And so many times when we come to the Lord and we come to God, we go to God's scripture because we are in a situation. But this message is not because we may necessarily be in that right now, but this is a preventive sermon, if you will, But simultaneously, it is a message to remind us of what it is God wants us to be as a people. And can somebody say, take your time? Okay. All right. Let me take my time. McBride, can I take my time, McBride? Okay. He's the one who locks us to the school, so I'll take my time. All right. Um, the book of Revelation, before we get into the scripture, the book of Revelation was written by John, the apostle of Jesus Christ. When you read the book of Revelation, the Bible says that, in the, that the Lord took up John and he began to show him some stuff. In the midst of the things he showed him, he showed him the elevation of the church. He showed him the seven seals, which one day we'll preach on that. He showed him the seven bowels or cups. He showed him the seven trumpets. He speaks about the Armageddon war. He speaks about the 144,000 Jews. He speaks about the mark of the beast. He talks about all of this stuff. And all of these things that John sees are things that are going to happen. So he takes them into eternity. Because it is from an eternal standpoint that you can see what you can't see right now. So God takes up Jesus, catches up John, raises him up, and then he begins to show him the mark of the beast, the Antichrist, coming of Jesus, fire coming out of his eyes, and he shows him a bunch of stuff of things that are going to happen And when you read the scripture, and when you read the book of Revelation, you would assume that this book is exclusively about events to come. But while John is up there in eternity looking at a glance at what's going to happen, Jesus tells John, I have a message that I want you to give to the seven churches that are not in heaven, but to the churches that are here in minor Asia. And that's important. Because when we think about Jesus, and when we think about this thing called Christianity, we always connect Christianity with what's going to come. My Christian walk is based on, I'm going to heaven, I'm going to be with Jesus, it's going to be all right. But, but, but you cannot divorce what's going to happen with your reality right now. So as John is looking at what's going to happen, he tells John, I want you to write to seven churches right now on earth that need a message from the Lord. I tell you this to remind you that we have to have one foot on earth 
and one foot in. Because how you live on earth is going to determine where you will spend eternity. So how do I have a hope of the future while living a godly life? And so he says, I want you to write the seven churches. And today I'm going to focus on one. And one day I'll do a series on all seven. But in Revelations chapter number 2, verses 12 through 17, listen and read with me, if you will, what the Bible says. This is Jesus speaking to John, and John is writing this letter to give it to the church. He says, to the angel of the church. The word angel in that text is to the pastor. This is a letter for the pastor. Don't think about an angel flapping his wings. This is to the pastor of the church in Pergamum, right? These are the words of him who has a sharp double. He says, I know where you live. Hello. Where Satan has his throne. And you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, not even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city, where Satan lives. Mm. Satan don't live in hell. He live in your house. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. There are some among you who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak or Balak to entice the Israelites to sin so that they ate food, sacrificed to idols, and committed sexual immorality. Likewise, you have also who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Repent, therefore, otherwise I will soon come to you and I will fight against them. Note of the phrase, I will come to you, but as I'm coming to you, I'm fighting against them. He's not fighting you. He says, behold, I come to you, and as I come to you, I'm going to fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. And I will give that person a white stone with a new name on it, known only to the one who receives it in Jesus' name. Touch your neighbor, tell him, Jesus knows. Touch the person behind and tell him, he knows, he knows. This church, the church of Pergamos, was a faltering church plagued by clericalism. This church was one of those types of churches that was known by its liturgical or its way of doing church was a very intellectual church, prestigious church. This church was known for being a philosophical, I'm sorry, an influential church in a philosophical context. This city was known for two things. Now, the church of Pergamos was very influential, but also its influence was affected or was in part as a result of its city. No, I just feel like preaching right now. Because the name of the, the fame of the church in was interconnected with the 
mindset of the city in Pergamum. And I believe we're called to be light, and I believe we're called to be salt. And in some things, there's got to be a reconciliation between church and states. But I don't believe that the church has to become like the world so that the church can change the world. This city stood out for two reasons. Number one, first of all, Pergamum had, was the only city that had a library with over 200,000 volumes of books. And now today, 2017, this may seem like nothing because when you Google, you could get millions of books online. But back in the days, to have 200, not 200,000 books, 200,000 volumes of books. And you couldn't write in a computer. You had to write it on a papyrus. You had to write it oh. Pergamum was known for the city of knowledge. Pergamus was known for the city of wisdom. And it is in that context that this church rises. Known for his books. Second, in Pergamum, there was a temple called Asclepius. Please don't name your child that name for the love of God. Hey, what's your name? Asclepius. <laughs> ah, Jesus, help me, Lord. Can you imagine? Hey, where you going? I'm going to Newburgh. Where you going? I'm going to Asclepius. <laughs> Can you imagine that? Asclepius. Now, 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 this name Asclepius was the name of a temple that was dedicate, dedicated to the God of healing and of medicine. The city is known by two things. One, knowledge. Two, healing and medicine. This Asclepius name is where we get that symbol of two serpents interconnected in a stick or rod. You've seen in the ambulance, on the side of the ambulance, they have two snakes intertwined like this, and right in the middle there's a stick or a rod. It was symbolized by these intertwined snakes, and what they would do in this temple, if you were sick, a person who was sick in, the time, in that time, what they would do, they would go to the temple and they would spend the night in the temple. But the thing was, in the temple of Asclepius was not like ours. You come to church here, you got deacons, you got elders, right? And if you're sick, the Bible says, if anybody's among, sick among you, come to the elders of the church to pray and anoint the faithful and the prayer of the much availeth much. But in the, in the temple of Asclepius, no, no, no. The temple was filled with snakes. So if you were sick, you would go to this temple and you had to spend the surrounded by hundreds of snakes. And if in the morning you were not dead, they declared you to be healed. Uh, board, I think we should buy some snakes. For the <laughs> so, 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 so imagine, and I want you to focus on what I'm saying. Imagine the kind of faith it took to believe God's going to heal me in that church. Now, now, it takes faith to believe. I'm asleep in the midst. Hey, honey, I'll be back tomorrow. I'm going to lay with the snakes. I'm gonna be, I'll be back. God's going here. Imagine the kind of faith it took to believe to be healed in this church. Some of us, we don't even believe God to heal us from a headache. It took faith. Pergamum was known. Knowledge, faith. So we would think, we would think, wait a minute, we, we, we would think. Isn't that what the Bible requires of us? To be saved, we need to have faith in Christ. To be saved, we need knowledge about the word. We need information. It is by saving and knowledge. Those things together are an impact. That's what I'm saying. This church fell in the trap because the city represented knowledge and faith. You can have knowledge and you can have faith. And when the trumpet sounds, you don't make it to heaven. Listen to me. They were, this church, 
in Pergamum. They were in a desperate need for the word of the Lord. Surrounded by thousands of volumes of books, surrounded by knowledge in the world of faith, they were in desperate need of a word from the Lord. That's why when he appears to them, he appears to them with a sword that is two-edged, which, by the way, the sword in the Bible represents the word of God. He represents to them with a two-edged sword. He appears to them to give them a word from the Lord. Because although they were doctrinally pure, they had drifted in their compromise. And let me tell you, church, there is a danger that we might hold on to the right doctrine but still drift in the compromise of the world because you could be intellectually astute all of the scripture you want and still be carnal. You can know 30,000 verses in the Bible and still be carnal. You don't believe me? What happened to the Pharisees? Who were the Pharisees? They were defenders of the word. They were the fender of the Torah. Who were the Sadducees? They had, obviously, they didn't, they, they didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. But, but who were the Sadducees and who were the scribes? These guys knew the Bible. They knew Scripture. They knew the law. But it wasn't enough. Because they knowing the law and knowing Scripture, when the Word showed up, they killed the Word. They rejected the Word. Because you could know the Word and be carnal. The problem with, with the Word is not knowing it. The problem with the Word is applying it. And I'm praying that God raises up a church that we don't just know the Word, but we walk in it, we live in it, we breathe it, we sleep it, we make it our daily practicum. You can know the scripture and still be carnal and still be worldly and still compromise with God. And today the Lord told me to tell you, Jesus, you. He said in verse 13, I know your works. I, I know what you do on Sundays. And I will praise the Lord. I know that. I see that. But I know your works. This church operated in the middle of a city chosen by Satan as his personal headquarters. Listen to me. Listen to me. Satan is not in hell, people. Satan is not in hell. As a matter of fact, Satan hates hell himself. Satan don't want to go to hell. You know, we hear, yeah, the devil's attacking me because the devil's trying to take as many people to hell. The devil don't want to take nobody to hell because he don't want to go there himself. Satan don't want to go to hell. If it was up to Satan, he'll be in Tahiti somewhere, sipping a pina colada. <laughs> don't want to go to hell. Here's another, here's another misconception. We don't have the power to bind the devil to hell. We do it all the time. I bind the devil. You can't bind the devil. The only one that can bind the devil is Jesus Christ. And the only way he's going to bind them is in the book of Revelation when the Bible says, and he took the, he took the false prophet, he took the antichrist, and he took the beast, and he put them in hell in the lake of fire. And for all eternity, they're going to be there forever and ever. The only one who has authority over the devil to put him in the lake of fire to burn forever is God, not you. Not you, not me. We don't got that power. Why? Because the power God gave the devil was the devil is the prince of this world. So if he's the prince of the world, guess what? He ain't going nowhere. And guess what? He don't want to go either. That's when Jesus comes and the second coming of Christ, there's going to be a battle of Armageddon because God's going to say, I want it back. I'm in control. And you're going to go where I want you to go. You know what I'm saying? So, so where is Satan? He's in your house. He's in your job. Let me, let me go even deeper. He's at the church. The Bible says he is to and fro the earth seeking whom he can devour. Why? Because Satan is the God of this world. He's the prince of the air. That's why Paul says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but we fight against principality, powers, spirits that are in high places. The devil is everywhere in the world and not in hell yet. 
because he's trying to destroy. That's why. Listen, the devil is not on the planet trying to take people to hell. The devil is in the planet trying to destroy the church of Jesus Christ because the only agent that can change this world is the church through the power of the Holy Spirit. But if the church is caught up in what they know, if the church is caught up in fake faith, if the church is caught up in a form of godliness, he says, I got the church exactly where I got them. But if the church operates in the power of the word and the power of the Holy Ghost, no weapon formed against you shall be able. People don't come to church. Because we have a nice building? Uh-uh. I come to church because I know the devil's after my house. We don't come because we want to show our shoes and, and park on the No, no. We come to church because the devil is in my house trying to mess up my marriage, trying to mess up my kids. He's in my job. So the only place he's got no place is when two or three are gathered. <laughs> I come to church. Because I'm in a devil-infested world. And in the middle of a devil-infested world, the only thing that could counterattack the devil is a word from the Lord. That's why in this church, we preach the word. All of it. All of it. We preach grace and we preach repentance. We preach love and we preach against sin. And some people don't like it. I hope you do. But, but, but I want you to know that we want the Holy Spirit in you and we want the devil out of you. We want God in you and we want sin out of you. And so God sent me here to tell you, like he told the church of Pergamum, I got one thing against you. I'm here to tell you, I know that I know that I know that the God that lives in you is after making you right. Is after, make, is after making you powerful. But you got to believe I will become who Christ has called me to become. But, 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 we cannot abandon Jesus. Pergamum had a crisis. Philosophy, knowledge, fake faith. It was easy to fall in the trap of mysticism, knowledge, assuming that it was real. But I'm here to tell you, we cannot abandon Jesus. That's why Jesus commends them. He says, I, I, I want to encourage y'all because in spite of the fact that you guys are in Pergamos, in spite of the fact that you're in the world that is bombarded with knowledge and fake, and fake faith, in, in spite of all that, he commends them because they did hold fast to his name. And there are churches, New Birth, that never mention the name of Jesus in their services. There are churches that don't, you know, you know nowadays we don't talk about the Holy Ghost no more. Because the Holy Ghost sounds spooky. And when, and, when, and when the Holy Ghost was spooky, they changed the Holy Ghost to Holy Spirit. You know, because spirit sounds nicer than ghost, you know. Because ghost is cast brother friendly, you know. So everybody started changing from Holy Ghost to Holy Spirit. And then, and then when the Spirit became too sensitive to people, we're changing the Holy Spirit to, how do you feel? Did, did it feel good to you today? How was the experience? Did you like it? Listen, there are some non-negotiables here. As long as we have a church, Jesus is going to be lifted up. We're going to preach Jesus. We're going to preach the Father. We're going to preach the Son. And we're going to preach the Holy Ghost. It's the Holy Ghost that gives us power to overcome the enemy. You cannot abandon Jesus. We got churches that make you feel comfortable and never introduce you to Jesus. And in case you didn't notice, New Birth Church is not Gabby's house. New Birth Church is Jesus' house. Listen, it would be rude for you to come and bring people to my house and not introduce people to me. It's disrespect. And you bring your whole, you know, because Hispanics, we don't know how to bring somebody. We bring everybody and their mama. I invite you to a party. I invited you to a party. You. But your cousin who came from Puerto Rico and your aunt that came from New York and your sister that came from I don't know where, they all tired. And I'm like, I didn't invite them to my house. I invited you. And, and what's crazy is after you bring everybody to my house, they eating my drinks. 
They eating my chips. They sitting in my couch. They changing the remote control. And you have not even introduced them to me. I'm like, first of all, who are you? Second of all, who you came with? Listen, that's why when you bring to church, you, I, listen, when you come to church and you bring somebody to church, give me a mic, I want to preach. I, when, when, when you come to church, you, I might not introduce you to the parking ministry. I might not introduce you to the leader of worship. I might not introduce you to one of our deacons, but I can promise you that we're going to introduce you to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Because he said, if I be lifted up, I will draw black men, white men, Chinese American men unto me. Why, 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 why? Because Jesus is the only person that can turn your circumstance around. Jesus is the only person that can make your family happy. I don't know, you don't need to know the pastor because knowing my name ain't gonna mess, ain't gonna change your family. But Jesus' name, Jesus is a sin-killing name. Jesus is a life-imparting name. Jesus is the name I need early in the morning. And he's the name I need late at night. Jesus is the name I need when all hell is breaking loose. I don't need a doctor. I don't need a lawyer. I don't need 911. I need the name that's above every name. And his name is. Oh, there's a song they used to say. Oh, how I love Jesus because he first loved me. I, I'm listening to you, you. You could be broke and have Jesus, and that's all the currency you need. You could, can I, can I talk about it? You could be sick and not have medical, and if you got Jesus, that's all you need. I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather have Jesus and lose my friends. I'd rather have Jesus and be sick in my body. Because soon and very soon, we're going to see the king. So I come to encourage you. I come to encourage you. Don't abandon Jesus. My next point is don't abandon the faith. He said in verse 13, you did not renounce your faith to me. It would have been easier to have faith in Asclepius. Something you could see. But he said, you have not denied or renounced your faith. And I want to tell y'all, church, in this house, there are, non, there are some non-negotiables when it comes to this church. Now, there, there are things I can negotiate. Pastor, I want a red rug. No, I want a blue rug. Uh, pastor, Pastor, um, uh, I, I, I don't like I don't like smoke lights. Uh, let's get rid of the lights and just, just let's get, let, 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 let's get rid of the smokes and just put the lights. I, I can negotiate that, Pastor. I don't want to sit here. I like to sit over there because that's my favorite chair and and my and my buttocks ha, has a level of comfort when I sit on that chair. Uh, uh, we, we 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 can negotiate those things because those things are negotiable. But but there's some things that are non-negotiable. Well, number one, I will never negotiate this that the Word of God is God's inspired Word that it is in fallible that has no that it has no mistakes I will never in the midst of all of the books that are written out there listen listen I know churches and people out there that they preach books of authors that serve the Lord that's great but in this house we're gonna preach the Bible we're gonna preach the Word of God I know God there's something good for you but we're gonna reach the Word of Almighty God that's a non-negotiable we're gonna preach the Word in this church Another non-negotiable. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is the only way to the Father. Jesus is the only way to heaven. Nobody else says, it ain't Buddha, it ain't Hare Krishna, it ain't Muhammad, it ain't nobody. Jesus is the only way to the Father. And as long as you come to this church, you're going to hear about Jesus. You're going to hear him in our singing. You're going to hear him in our prayers. You're going to hear him in our videos. It's all about Jesus. Don't ever let the world squeeze you into the mold 
of believing that the Bible is a regular book. There are books out there written by great philosophers, great authors, great writers. Got books written by Shakespeare on how to fall in love. Shakespeare don't nothing about Jesus. Shakespeare ain't got nothing on Jesus. Romeo, 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 you a joke when you get to Jesus. There's a book out there, how to out there written how to kill a mockingbird. That's a great book. There's a war, a book out there called War and Peace, Pride and Prejudice. Those are great books. But when I read those books, none of those books give me salvation. When I read those books, none of those books give me hope. Only one book that has power. There's only one book that has restoration. There's only one preaching because this book is not any other person writing. This book is God Himself speaking. I'm here to tell you when you got the Word of God in your heart and the Word of God in your mind, you're not reading letters and parables and continents. You're reading the mouth of God speaking into your circumstance, letting you know don't abandon the faith because the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing the word. Don't abandon the faith. Jesus says, verse 13, he says, I know your works and your sacrifice. He talks about knowing his sacrifice in connection to a man by the name of Antipas. You can name it John Antipas. Antipas, who lived in Pergamum. Who was Antipas? Who was Antipas? Let me, before I tell you about Antipas, Antipas was a martyr. What's a martyr? A martyr is someone who dies for the cause. Why did God mention Antipas to the church in Pergamum? Because here's what happened. Every year, the citizens of Pergamum, they had to take a pinch of, and go in front of an altar of a Roman temple. Every year, once a year, every citizen had to go, pinch of incense, stand in front of an altar in a Roman temple, and drop their incense on the fire as they declared, Caesar is God. Pinch of salt. Pledge that Caesar was God. What happened to this church in Pergamum? They refused to take a pinch of incense and stand before an altar and declare that Jesus, that Caesar was God. Look at what happened. The church became persecuted because they refused to bow down to Peter, to, to Caesar. And so what Rome did, they made an example of the church by grabbing Antipas, who was a believer of the faith. And they told Antipas, Antipas, take a pinch of incense, stand in front of the altar and declare that Caesar is God. Antipas said, I refuse. You know what they did? They built a calf of bronze about this big. What a big belly. And the calf of bronze was hollow on the inside. And in the, and in the stomach area of the, of the, of, 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 of what is it? Of, no, no, no. Of the animal. The calf. There you go. In, 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 in the stomach of the calf, they opened, they had a compartment door to open and close. And they took Antipas and they put him inside. They said, you got one more, you got one last chance. To, to, to pledge allegiance to God, the God called Caesar. And he said no. And while this is happening, the church is hiding and watching. And between the crowd, they're hiding, camouflage between the multitude. And they're telling Antipas, I'm going to give you one last chance. Declare that Caesar is God. You know what Antipas did? He said no, he refused. And you know what they did? They put him in the belly of the calf. They closed the door. And then they the calf on the outside on fire and the fire was causing the bronze to heat up and inside of the belly of the calf you, you start seeing smoke coming out of the nostrils of the calf and the eyes of the calf and you start smelling burnt flesh and while he's being burnt in this calf had, had, had he been one of us 
we would have said Caesar is God. Because sometimes when the heat gets on, we tend to bow down. But you know what Antipas did in the middle of a fiery experience? He began to declare, there's no other name but Jesus. My lips will utter, hallelujah. Can I preach? Can I why is it that we bow down over little things in life oh god if we would have lived the early church some of us would have never made it to the second week but i'm praying that god gives us the spirit of antipas let them put me through the fire of the devil let them put me through the fire of temptation let them put me through the fire of division i will not bow listen to this they throw him in there and they killed antipas and the crazy thing is, they thought that by doing this, the church was going to get weak. But you know what happened? Instead of the church getting weaker, it made the church even stronger. Because if you live a godly life, church, you're going to suffer persecution. But I want to encourage you this afternoon, even though you go through your persecution, God is faithful to allow for you to go through your hell and be bothered by the devil. But in the end, you'll be standing before the throne of God. And God's going to say, good and faithful servants Jesus know your sacrifice just stay standing while everybody else is bowing he knows it's hard to be holy while everybody's buckwalling and sinning he knows it's hard to be righteous in a world that's unrighteous he knows but he says if you're righteous he wants you to know that he knows your work and he knows your sacrifice and it does not go unnoticed he knows up until this point, everybody's hype. He's speaking a two a message from a two-edged sword. That's a word for me. He tells them about their faith. He tells them you not deny my name. Everybody's happy up until this part of the scripture. He says, I know. Here's the twister, because now there's a problem. Verse 14, he says, Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. There are some among you, these are members of the church. There are some among you who hold the teaching of Balaam. Oh, Jesus. Who taught Balak or Balak to entice the Israelites to sin so that they ate food, sacrificed to idols, and committed sexual immorality. He says, I got a problem with the church, though. Because in the middle of the crowd, you got some folk that are still stuck with the teachings of Balaam. Because there are those among you who hold on to the true doctrine, like Antipas, but then there are those that are holding on to the doctrine of Balaam. So he confronts their compromise. He says, I got a problem with Pergamum, which by the way, the name Pergamum means to be married. They were literally an unequal yoke with unbelievers. There was a corruption in the church and in the membership of the church and in the leadership of the church. And Numbers 22, to understand who is Balaam, you got to go to Numbers 22 because Numbers 22 is going to tell you about a man by the name of Balaam. And this guy was paid, he was hired by Balak who was the king of Moab. Notice this. Balak, the king of Moab, hired Balaam who was a prophet prophesy condemnation and curse over Israel. And the, that every time Balaam would prophesy against Israel, the opposite would happen. And Balak got pissed off at this. Because at the end of the day, dude, I'm paying you to curse God's people. Now, how is it that after I pay you, you prophesy and you ain't doing nothing right? Listen, even the devil has false prophets, by the way. And Balak was trying to curse God's people. He was trying to curse God's people. He was trying to curse God's people, and it didn't work. Four times he tried, and he tried. And Balak, the king of Moab, says, okay, I got a plan, Balaam. Let's do this. Since your prophecy can't destroy them and hurt them, here's what we're going to do. Here's what we're going to do. Since we can't curse them, let's corrupt them. With what? Pagan worship? Immorality? Balak said, let's do this. I'm going to get on pretty Moabites. I'm going to hook them up with nice heels. 
and nice lipstick and nice little, you know, girdles and, and give them liposuction right quick. And, and, and I'm going to make them walk down Jerusalem cities and cause these girls to entice the Israelite men. Because if I can't curse them with a prophecy, I'm going to corrupt them into marrying our people. Because once we corrupt them, then God can bless them. Listen to what I'm telling you. I am telling you that God, like the church in Pergamos, he has places in a world of corruption. But make it your business that you don't corrupt yourself to the enticements of the world. Make it your business that you don't yield and bow down to the gods of this age. I don't care how good she looks. I don't care how good he looks. I don't care how nice it looks. I don't care how great their proposal is. Don't bow down. Don't do it. what I'm telling you. If you're not living up to God, you're damaging the office God has given you. Yes. Board members, worship team, parking ministry, source staff, environmentalists, security, everybody in this leadership. If you're not living up to the standard, you're corrupting the office God has given you. And if you are corrupted, repent. Again, this may not apply now. If you are corrupted, repent. But if you don't want to repent, resign. Don't harm the body of Christ because of you. Because in the church of Pergamos, there was a group that was believing God. But the angel is saying, I got a problem because some of y'all folk are still in the doctrine of Balaam. When leadership is corrupted, the members tears down. And I'm not saying there's corruption in our church. Because we don't play it here. What I'm saying is, we have to hold on to our office, your position with fearing. We must be holy. That word is a bad word in the church nowadays. We got to be holy. We got to be holy. He says, verse 16, repent. If not, I will come. What he says, he says, if you don't repent, I will come. Yeah, yeah I ain't get it. He says, if you don't repent, I will come. Meaning that if we are living right, Jesus don't need to come because he's there. If you repent, if you don't repent, I will come. And then when he comes, he's coming to restore. But the next, the next part of that verse says, and fight you with the sword of my mouth. So while he's coming to restore you, he's fighting those that have caused you to fall into the entrapment. He's not fighting you because when he comes, he comes to restore you if you repent. But while you're repenting, he's restoring, he's fighting your enemies against you. He's fighting those things against you. That's why I like God. Tell us to repent. As we repent, he forgives us. And while he's forgiving us, he's fighting some battles that we can fight. That's why you need the power of the Holy Ghost, the power of the Word, and Jesus in your life. So that while he forgives you in your weaknesses, he can fight the fight of faith with you to overcome the things that overcame you before. I'm, I'm going to close. This is the longest sermon I've preached in 22 months. But I got to share it today. Here's what he's trying to tell us. The church is the bride of Christ. And any man who calls himself a man, listen to me, and does not fight for his woman is not worthy to be called a man. Because the church is Christ's bride. He says, you mess with my woman, I'm going to tear you up. Listen, you can talk about me all you want. Whatever you want. Don't, don't talk about my wife. You talk about my wife? I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray. But here's my prayer. Lord, how can I punch this guy out without getting sued? You, you don't talk about my wife. Don't, listen. Don't talk about my wife. And let me tell you something. You could talk about my wife, but don't talk about her man. Right, boo? Jesus said, he said, he said, he said, he said, 
He said, I'll fight your fight. I'll protect you. Because if you are a man and you don't protect your woman, you ain't worthy to be called a man. You could say to me whatever you want to say to me, but don't clown me in front of my wife. Don't talk about my wife. Jesus loves the church so much that he died for it. And he died for it, not for you to slap her up and down. If he died for it, he's going to be willing to fight for it. And we are called to love the church like Christ loved the church. And if you talk about my church, I'm going to fight you. And if you hurt a brother in the church, I'm going to tear you up. Anything you're willing to give your life for, you're willing to fight for. And I don't know about you, but I let a lot of things go to make this church my church. I ain't going to let no devil in hell mess with God's church, mess with God's bride. That devil. That's because you ain't preaching. <laughs> you know how tired I am? Okay. Now praise always comes before correction. That's why he first commended the church. Chapter 12 and 13. Then he confronted the church. And now he gives them a word of consolation. Verses 14 and 17 he says, He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. To him that overcomes, I will give to eat of hidden manna. Now, what is the manna? Manna was a bread cooked from God by God to man in the wilderness. It was called manna simply because they didn't know what it was. The name manna in Hebrew is, what is this? And they named it manna because they never saw or tasted something like this. And the thing about this manna was this bread... They couldn't keep it. You know how we Hispanics do it. Um, when you go to restaurants, it tastes better tomorrow. They couldn't do that with the manna. Because manna would spoil overnight. So every single morning, they had to wake up early to get their manna. If they woke up late, they missed out on the manna. And it was that manna that God, through Moses, took and put it in the Ark of the Covenant as a commemorative on how God kept them throughout the wilderness. So what is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying... When things get tough and you get hungry, and I know that you are in Pergamos, surrounded by knowledge and philosophy and all of the stuff and mysticism and super faith and a faith. That, and, and it's easy to sit at the table and eat of the knowledge and eat of that faith. He says, no, 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 no. In the midst of that, don't sit at the table of the world and dine. I have a better food for you. But the food I got for you, you got to wake up every morning and seek me in my face. You got to wake up every morning and pursue my glory. He says, you don't have to be like them, even though you are in the midst of them. Because I have resources this world has no idea about. Yes. I'll give you manna, but then he says, I'll give you, check this out. I will give them a white stone. It's interesting. There are various implications of white stones in the times of the Bible. I'll give you all of them, and we'll close. Number one, the white stone was used a lot in the judicial system. A white stone was used in court back in the first century. In other words, if you, if someone brought charges up to you and you were found guilty, they would give you a black stone. And that black stone represented you was guilty as charged. But if you were acquitted in court, they would give you a white stone, meaning that your charges were exonerated and you were pardoned. So wherever you walked and you had a white stone, they knew he was forgiven. On Friday, Jesus took my black stone on the cross. And on Sunday, he gave me a white stone of forgiveness. The white stone signified, another meaning is signified citizenship. It meant that I belonged somewhere. It was like a passport. Like I could be in, in Europe, but I'm not from Europe. My passport says I belong to the United States of America. I belong to another world. The white stone also represented victory. It meant victory. In the times of sports, 
in the first century. After you completed the Olympic Games, whether you was first place or last place, everybody who competed and completed in the Olympic Games would receive a white stone and that white stone, what it literally meant was that you can go anywhere you wanted. Restaurants, museums, shows, anywhere you wanted. And you wouldn't have to pay a penny because that white stone represented, since you're a victor, since you have become a victorious person, you have access to enter and you will consider a celebrity. But also a white, a, a, a white stone represented friendship. In the times of the first century, when friends would part, they would take a white stone. And I would write my name on the, on the stone, and you would write your name on the stone. We'll cut it in half. I'll take the part of the stone that had your name on it. You take the part of the stone that had my name on it. And we would divide and, se and separate. And we would never get rid of that stone until we, re we will reunite again and put the stones back together. That's what Jesus did right before he went to heaven. He said, I'm going to prepare a place so that where I am, you can be as well. But I will be back. That's why I've given you my name. That's what he says in Matthew 28. Go in my name. In my name, you'll cast out devils. you heal the sick. In my day, in my name, you'll do miracles. Because he gave us a name. And he says, I'll be back. I'll be back. Jesus went to heaven to prepare a place for us. Jesus has half of the stone in his hands, hoping that when he comes back, you'll have your half in your hands. And lastly, two more. White stone represents access. White stone signified access. You can go in God's presence, and anything you ask, he'll give you. Get up on your feet, please. And last, the white stone represented a new name. To have a white stone represented, you had a new name. It's interesting. Because when a noble man would invite you, or someone prestigious would invite you to the house for dinner, he would put a white stone on top of the chair, and under the chair, under the stone, between the stone and the chair, he'll write a message. A message underneath it. And no one on that house, in that house, had the right to read the message on the chair except the person who was assigned to sit on that chair. I want to let you know that today the Lord says, because you have been faithful, because you have not denied my name, because you have kept the faith, and in the midst of the Nicolaitans and the Balaams and the Balaks, you have kept yourself pure. He says, I will give you a white stone. I'll be firm. I'll prepare a place for you. I'll make you a royal priesthood. You'll be special. Wherever you go, I'll give you access. I'll give you grace and I'll give you favor. And I'll give you a message in the midst of a world full of confusion to continue to walk this path. We hope this message has inspired you. As a place of hope, our church is committed to reach our community. If you'd like more information about New Birth, visit our website at nbplaceofhope.com.